Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Understand that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. One of my goals in the new year is to continue to expand the conversation from traditional horror films to horror adjacent ones. Films and series from other genres that incorporate horror elements to tell their stories, which can be unsettling and in some cases terrifying, but lack the traditional horror context. And in the case of today's film, 1984's The Terminator, it might actually be a full-blown horror film masquerading as a sci-fi action film. Directed and co-written by James Cameron along with writer Gail Ann Hurd, The Terminator stars none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger as a killer cyborg sent back in time from 2029, 1984 to kill Sarah Connor who's played by Linda Hamilton. Sarah is targeted for termination as her future son, John Connor, will be the savior of mankind against the war with the machines. Assisted by a resistance fighter from the future named Kyle Reese, played by Michael Bean, Sarah must attempt to outrun or kill this cybernetic assassin before her timeline is rewritten. And joining me for the first episode of Daily Horror Habit in the new year is returning friend of the show, Berto, to break down the horror elements of The Terminator. Welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. A happy new year to you. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah. Happy New Year's. Uh, Yeah, it's good to be back on the first episode of the new one. Pleasure to have you. And uh, it's a special occasion, too, because we get to chat about one of our uh, favorite films in uh, in a way that we haven't really done so before. But I think we do have to preface like Terminator is definitely one of our favorite films and Mm -hmm. the same can be said for the sequel Terminator 2 Judgment Day. But it's interesting in thinking about Terminator and Terminator 2 in that there are a lot of kind of contrasting perceptions of it between like Terminator and Alien, right? The original film is much more horror centric, whereas in Alien, I think it's a lot more clear and a lot stronger. Um, Mm -hmm. But then the jump from like Alien to Aliens is almost night and day in terms of like tone and uh, a lot of the stylistic elements of it. Do you think that's Mm -hmm. kind of fair to say for uh, comparing Terminator and Terminator 2? Yeah, I think that's actually a really, that's like a perfect uh, comparison because you really feel like it's more of a horror focused film. Like you were saying, like in the first one, it's more of a shit, I'm being hunted. And now the second one is more based on action and let's blow things up. And, you know, everybody knows the Terminator and all that at this point, it's like, it's more action based. So yeah, definitely it was a good comparison. Absolutely. And I don't think that it's a uh, it's a accident that like as the budget grows on these movies with their sequels, that the scope of them grows as well. And when you have the scope of a film really expand well beyond the means of the original, obviously, because generally the original like the studios didn't know they had a hit at the time. So there's probably little faith in them or little studio backing, obviously not as much compared to the sequels, but I think in that scope being expanded, you lose a lot of the kind of like claustrophobic tight horror elements to it, which I don't want to say like one is better than the other, but it's this idea that the more your film grows and the more resources you have almost, I feel like, because I don't remember exactly what the budget difference is, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the budget of Terminator 2 was like $100 million or something like that. You know what I mean? Like the bigger the budget is, the more that they're going to want to do with that budget. Yeah, the budget was exactly $100 million versus Terminator 1, which I believe the budget was around $6 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's a huge quite, difference. Yeah, yeah, quite the difference. And you really do see the difference from like the opening moments of each of the films, right? You just yeah. get a really interesting sense of just how much bigger the world is. But in terms of like that world growing as much, it loses some of the intricacies of the originals, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the original, it, it it's more of a darker feel to it. Like a lot, ma- majority of the shots are all shot at night. So you have this kind of like something going through the shadows kind of feel to it. Like it's very dark focused. Um, even I feel like even like the, the I'm sure the lens they use, they kind of help that to like make, make it seem darker than it really is. And the, for the second one, it just seems like they're out in the desert. There's a lot of daylight. They do have some night film shots, but mostly, if I, from what I remember, it's always it's always been like more of a daylight kind of showing off things. And I think the budget has a lot to do with that, given the director 
um, a lot more freedom to do what he wants to do instead of like having a six million dollar budget to make this movie that you want to do you're I feel like you're very limited to what you can do so I think that has a lot to do with it yeah and I think that that is a great way to kind of just frame our the beginning of our conversation and you don't really know whether well I guess you can quantify to a certain extent based on the budget right they don't have a lot of money to work with so you have to work around that budget and are the a lot of the type of el- horror centric elements of the original Terminator were they decisions made with horror in mind or is this kind of like a tone and atmosphere that was spawned around the budget right did they set out to make this more horror focused or did they end up making certain decisions that are more budget conscious rather than hey we could make a pretty rad horror movie with this and i mean for the period and considering the studio like i wouldn't be surprised if the reason that it leans much more towards sci-fi and action or that's how how more people i think describe it than horror it's easier to market right who the hell i mean based on what i had read not there was not a lot of studio confidence in the movie to begin with and had that had a heavier horror emphasis i feel like that studio confidence probably would have dropped considerably more so um but before kind of getting into that i think it's interesting to note how cameron himself refers to the terminator and he refers to the genre that it falls in as tech noir which is the name of the nightclub uh, that they have that shootout in later in yeah. the film. But Technoir is kind of described as like a Blade Runner movie. It combines the old style grittiness of noir films with futuristic elements of a sci-fi thriller. And I think I agree with that. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, I feel like not including horror in there almost does it a disservice. Mm-hmm. And I can't really obviously speak to Cameron's feelings on describing it as a horror film, but I would not be surprised if for the period and him trying to remove himself from horror, because the only movie I believe he directed before this was a movie was uh, Piranha 2, which was like a sequel to, (laughs) I think it was a 70s uh, creature feature movie. And I haven't seen it, but I can't imagine that a studio was dying to give him another movie after Piranha 2, just from my general knowledge of it. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if his not referring to Terminator as a horror movie is because he kind of wants to make a product that is the most commercially viable thing. I mean, maybe he was also trying to fit in that time period of a lot, a lot of action movies too. But I think, I feel like the story itself, when you think about it, it's, it's like a horror-ish, but I feel like the story itself has to be so strong in order for it to carry, which I think that's, that's like, that's like the thing that carries on throughout the whole series of Terminator. I think the fact that the story is so strong and, it kind of helped blow up to what it actually ends up becoming. But I think there was a good, I think it's a, I think it's a great mixture of horror, but it feels like more of horror and action is like a ho- mostly horror kind of, I feel like compared to the second one where it's more action based, which I personally like, I mean, the, they're both great movies They're I think definitely a classic. And I think it helps the, the fact that they were with the budget, the fact that Arnold was a young actor who hasn't had much experience. I mean, he had Conan the barbarian and all that, but I think he they kind of got lucked out in that he probably didn't I'm I'm not, I'm not sure what the contract was he probably didn't ask for much money and which kind of helps cuz I thought his performance in this one definitely set him up to become the great actor that he becomes later on. I'm opening this episode with a sound clip from the movie that of Reese talking to Sarah Connor in the car when they're hiding out in the parking garage and Reese has this really fantastic quote that I think really does like Some people might be, oh, it's kind of a stretch to describe the Terminator as a horror movie. But based on this quote and just the entire framework of the movie itself, I don't think it's that much of a stretch. And while it is a blending of horror with other things, in a lot of ways, the Terminator villain, the Terminator itself, is a like a slasher. uh, I won't I don't know if I would call it like an icon, but it has the same qualities as many slasher icons within the horror genre, right? It's got a lot of the same qualities as a Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers and these types of characters. And the Mm -hmm. quote that I found from the film is, the Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. And that quote is the perfect distillation of like what the Terminator is and it being, screw it, I'll say it, it, deserves a spot along the other kind of <laughs> traditional slasher villains like a Jason or a Michael, because you can describe yeah. both yeah, of yeah. those villains as that, as it is something that 
It is right. unwavering in its determination to kill essentially the final girl in the film, right? You can't bargain with it. It doesn't right. show empathy or remorse. It just has a mission and it goes for that mission. Yeah, I think I think that quote could have been put under uh, a Jason or a Michael Myers and that's literally, it describes them. Like, and I think that it, they do such a, like even Arnold's performance does such a great job at, at kind of almost making you feel like he is a, he is in that category of a Jason and Michael Myers where, I mean, he's more of a robot and it seems more reasonable, I guess, because, you know, robots don't die by bullets, but he gets shot, he gets run over, he gets burned, and he just kind of keeps going and keeps haunting them. I think that's a, that's definitely a great quote to, to pick because I think it, it really shows off, like, the horror side of this movie. We've seen this movie so many times yeah. that it's not even, like, I've lost track. <laughs> but at the same time, I was picking up more that, Early on, there's an indication that he is not human, obviously. And we kind of got the gist early on that he's not human. But there isn't a big reveal that he is not human for a considerable portion of the movie. And I think that early on, there's kind of like you see him eating all these bullets. And it is yeah. very much like a horror movie, right? It's this figure that looks human or at least has the shape of a human. And yet it's taking all this damage that, that yeah. no normal person could survive. It's kind of like in... Halloween when they shoot him six, Michael Myers six yeah. times and then he just disappears at the end of the movie. <laughs> but I mean, even moving past the Terminator being this essentially like the slasher villain of the film, you also have these other kind of constructs or tropes of slasher movies, right? You have the final girl who is the one girl that is able to survive until the very end of the film. And maybe she will survive, maybe she won't. But the final girl of the Terminator being Sarah Connor, who is this young woman that's being hunted by an unstoppable killing machine. But it goes a little bit further than that in terms of like her subscribing to a lot of the characteristics of a final girl. She's very clearly like an outcast. She is has this unfulfilling job. I mean, you get that great scene early on when she's yeah. delivering all the wrong <laughs> food and all the wrong orders. And then the kid drops like the ice cream in her yeah. uh, apron. And then not only does she have this unfulfilling job, but like people are belittling her essentially. And they're like, oh, good job, kid. Maybe I should give you the tip kind of thing. Yeah. And even it goes so as far as um, when it's Friday night, her date cancels on her at the last minute. It's there's a lot of like sympathy built into this character that makes you feel for her even before she's being hunted by this yeah. unstoppable killing machine. It's like it's like her life's already miserable as is. Right. Like, And then on top of that, now you have someone that actually wants to take your life. Yeah. Like it just I don't know. It, yeah, it's it, that's a great point that that her story and her like background is is very fitting to most scary movies i would say it also fits right into that like the main character always has some kind of trouble before there's actual trouble with the villain of the movie which is a very fitting in that sense that the way the cameron did that I, I think it it almost now that i think about it, it almost is directing towards a horror film if you really think about it right yeah and i think that that's sarah connor is probably the one element that i really latch on to alongside obviously the Terminator, but just in terms of like this movie was very clearly early on, like I would not be surprised and we'll get into it a little bit more if Cameron's first treatment of the movie was much more horror focused in mind in terms of like hitting on these things. You have this girl that is basically is not necessarily like living up to her full potential to a certain extent. And then, I mean, that's very common in horror films, right? You take this person yeah. that has, they are living a life that maybe is not their most ideal life. And then you kind of make the unimaginable happen. This horrific event happened or somebody's trying to kill her or killing all of her friends. And the director then spends the next 90 minutes like turning their life into a living hell. Um, but it even goes farther than just Sarah Connor being a final girl in that we have Reese, who's played by Michael Bean. Mm. And while his character is the most like sci-fi focused, probably obviously next to the Terminator where he came back from time, has to save Sarah Connor so her son can be born and then her son will eventually like defeat Skynet. But he serves a very kind of crucial role to horror films in that he is the one that is knowledgeable of the threat, right? There's always that one person that has all the answers for what's happening in a horror film, especially like in Halloween, you have uh, Dr. Loomis, who's Michael Myers' therapist. Yeah. Loomis shows up and he knows everything. He has all the answers and nobody will listen to him. They treat him like right. he's the, tra the town drunk, essentially, where he shows up and he's just, oh, he's talking crazy. None of that stuff would be real or believable and yet if they had listened to him he would be like the savior of everybody and reese is the same way in this 
Right, exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a great comparison. Like, I think one of the lines that really struck me was that that scene you were just describing earlier about when they're talking in the car, and he kind of talks about like Connor, um, Sarah Connor asks him, "How can we destroy?" And he's like, "Not with these weapons. Like in this world, like in Earth, like there's nothing you can like do with these weapons to kill them." And and I think that kind of leads onto that more even more hard because now you think like, "Holy shit!" So th there's no way you can kill this guy and now they got to figure out something in this in this earth world that they're in in 1984 to how to kill a robot from 100 years advanced more advanced than they are so um yeah it definitely leads on to that it, the more you describe it, it it's like the more it opens my mind to the comparison of a jason movie that we were just describing and talking about and i think it's i think it's a great i think it now that i think about it, it's definitely more horror focused than action yeah, and again, like those horror elements, it has moments of action, but again, I don't think it's a stretch to say like the the foundation of the film is very horror focused. Obviously, yeah. it's Cameron is able to play with and twist the tropes of horror a lot by blending it with science fiction and action moments, which is fantastic. And if anything, it makes the film even more unique. And yeah. it's not to say like it's negative that he blends those things together, but I think it's a disservice to the movie to for as like wide of a conversation, obviously as Terminator and the legacy of the original kind of is played out. I feel that the horror element of it really doesn't get enough credit when it is the bedrock of the entire series. But just to go back to Reese for a moment, two elements of his character that I picked up on a lot more this time that again, play into this idea of like the, uh, the ignored save, uh, potential savior of everybody is he introduces like a lot of terminology to Sarah, like obviously Terminator, uh, coming back in time, all these things, a metal, metal exoskeleton. But then he also says like, you've been targeted for termination. And I love that line because it establishes this kind of vernacular within the film that nobody else knows and nobody else pays attention to. And yet it's the most important line in the film because it explains perfectly in not only five words, like you've been targeted for termination. This is what is going to happen to you. And yeah, the simplicity of that line. And it, I don't even think Sarah asks for clarification. I don't think even the psych, uh, the psychologist later when he's being interviewed asks him about that. He's just like, you, he's very kind of flippant about it to the degree where when people hear that they kind of ignore it. And it's like, you need to heed these words a lot more than you actually are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a good point. Yeah, like it was kind of like something that seemed like he just threw it in there, but it wasn't paid too much attention to. Um, but it definitely it definitely brings in that like simplicity. I think of even the writing itself was just like because I feel like at that moment, um, that's when they were talking in the car too, right? I'm yeah, just, I, I think, think so. so. Yeah, yeah. Because like there's so much information being thrown at her that it kind of just kind of skimmed right over. It seems like. Because there wasn't much of a, a deal made out of it. It was kind of like, oh, like I can tell that I'm already being haunted. Like, you know, like someone's coming after me and it's this robot. But I mean, I guess that in that sense, it wasn't really, it was kind of just thrown in there randomly, I guess. But it definitely has that feeling too of a horror. Then again, Sarah's dealing with a lot at the moment. So it's, right, I can't yeah. falter too much for not, uh, for not hanging on to every one of his words. <laughs> but uh, the last thing I'll just say on Reese is that also... Like he has, I believe it's two or three PTSD episodes or flashbacks mm. during the film when he falls asleep. I think it's only twice, but that's another mm. huge element of horror films in that there's always a character that has unresolved trauma from something. And that trauma is either expounded upon in a certain way in the film, or it's kind of just the background of their character. And it's interesting to me that Sarah, because we don't know that much about Sarah, right? And I think that that's part of the yeah. purpose of her character is that She's not supposed to be all that remarkable. It's kind of just fate, right? And they yeah. get more into the fate element in the later films, which go almost full sci-fi and they kind of just ignore <laughs> the horror roots of the original. But it's interesting to me that Reese, who is this ignored savior to a certain degree, is the one that has this unresolved trauma. And it really does make his character reinforces that his character is the, the bedrock or like the sanest one of anybody in this world, right? It's the one... It, he has the, or rather it makes him the authority on what is happening rather than, I keep bringing it back to Dr. Loomis and Halloween, Dr. Loomis is the authority on Michael Myers because, hey, 
I've been his uh, psych- the therapist, psychologist for his entire adult life, Michael Myers. Yeah. Whereas Reese is the only one that has been to the future and knows what is in store for them. And coming back, he has this kind of wealth of information and yet everybody mm-hmm. dis- discounts him as a, as a crack or a, a loon, which if I was in the cop shoes, I would, there's <sighs> not necessarily a reason I wouldn't too think that he is crazy, but it yeah. doesn't stop the, or it doesn't uh, interfere with the fact that he is the authority on everything that happens in the movie. Yeah. I think that, yeah, like you were saying, I think he's just, he's the one that has dealt with it before and he knows what they're, that the robot is capable of. And I think that also kind of, I think that also helps the fact that everybody oversees that, that fact, it kind of helps to add more into the horror sense of like things just get out of hand really easily after that. Cause they're just ignoring all his like, all his uh protocols i guess all his knowledge is just kind of ignoring it so it's like people are just getting killed for no reason when they could have just paid attention to him but at the same time it's hard to pay attention to someone who says that he's coming from the future right, which is right. something we <laughs> we have no we have no sense of like can we even time travel like that just blows your mind just that thought itself so yeah definitely uh yeah but yeah i think also though this idea that the terminator is a horror movie again it's a sci-fi it has sci-fi elements and action elements in it but at the end of the day his characters our perception of that character is not that different than from a traditional slasher where you have somebody that is telling you all these things like dr loomis tells everybody in haddonfield that michael myers is the epitome of evil well you sound crazy if you're going to say that right how could somebody be the epitome of evil he's he's not a person anymore he's an it he's the shape he's a monster you sound crazy if you say that and just because the terminator Nobody believes Reese because he's from the future. Like that's a sci-fi element. It's still the same thing, right? What he's saying or his explanation sounds like lunacy to somebody. It's just one is sci-fi and one is straight up unapologetically a horror slasher. Um, Yeah. But I really think that something again that I appreciated more on this rewatch was just how well Cameron does at inserting us into the world of the Terminator. Before we even know that Arnold has this exoskeleton or we see any of the, well, we do see one feat of strength when he literally rips a guy's heart out. But yeah. uh, it's really Cameron's kind of inserting us into this world. And the first scene of the movie is like a glimpse of the future, which is an apocalyptic mm. setting, right? It's the yeah. end of the world. There are these crazy robots, uh, hunter killers and all of these tanks and everything. And the, st- the city streets are literally lined with skulls. And yeah. I love that opening because... While it is sci-fi, the kind of just like noticeable uh, structures and architecture and skulls obviously lining the streets, it really does establish like, this is not another planet, this is not another world, this is our world, and this is kind of like the hell that our world is gonna become. Yeah, I think that that's a great introduction too. Like it kind of, I like the fact that they it opens up like that, that you see what's gonna happen. And then the first scene when um, the Terminator gets gets into um, L.A. and they show off the view of L.A. of what it is now. I think that's a cool like comparison. Like it's going to be like L.A. in 100 years and it's like L.A. what it looks like now with all these buildings all lit up at night. And I think that that was I thought that was one, probably one of my favorite shots of the movie. The you just in the intro itself where you see Arnold who's butt naked walking down the street <laughs> and then it's like he has this perfect view of the whole city mm-hmm. and it's like what it is now and what it could eventually be if they don't they don't kill him. Furthermore, in the terms of contrasting that shot, is that in the, uh, I believe it's within the next couple of minutes, like we go from that overhead shot of LA, which is kind of like the city of dreams and everything por- uh, view or vantage point of LA. We then see what the city is like on a surface level, right? And it's yeah. very much this kind of like a seedy portrayal of LA where lots of stores are, It looks like they're either uh, out of business or there's like vagrants everywhere. But also, again, like you said, a majority of the film is shot at night. So there's this kind of brooding darkness. But then there's also like smoke billowing from alleys. It feels unsafe before you even see anything. Like it almost feels like the portrayal of major cities, mainly like New York in the 80s that like Frank Miller did in a lot of his comics. Right. It's like if you go down the wrong alley, you might get killed. There's people selling drugs and sex and all these things on every corner and Cameron it's a testament to his world building in that he's able to capture all of that and it it's very grounded right it's not futuristic anymore it's not 
oh, there's about to be a guy in a metal exoskeleton that's here to kill you. It's, there's nothing fantastical about it. It's just, hey, this is a major metropolitan area that you might've seen or you could potentially visit. And it's a somewhat sketchy, dangerous place. Yeah, I, I also like the shots that when a Reese shows up, he shows up in this shitty part of LA and looks very scummy, like you were saying. And it was just like, it kind of shows you where the city's heading towards. Like it's heading towards that war infested city with skulls everywhere and like torn buildings. That's kind of where the trajectory of the of the of the city itself in the movie is headed to. You can just see like by all the the homeless people and like just people living in the street and stuff you kind of have like that sense of like oh you can kind of see that that city is heading towards that path yeah no that's a great point in that it's not unbelievable that what you're seeing now and what you saw of the future you can see it heading on that trajectory i think that's a yeah. that's a great point i never really thought about it that way and it does make the the events of the rest of the film not more believable but it feels like a natural progression of where society or or the earth in general kind of is heading yeah. within this re this world the reality of cameron's world of the terminator um, yeah. but a couple elements that i think he really plays with in an interesting way and it really does echo a lot of the tropes from horror films and particularly slashers are first and foremost the police in this movie are 100 <laughs> percent inadequate at everything they do yeah. right they show yeah. the minute Schwarzenegger or the Terminator shows up to Sarah's apartment the cops that are supposed to be sitting there protecting her they just peel out and then he yeah. literally half a second later steps into frame so you have the <laughs> cops that obviously not doing what they're supposed to be doing and then of course we have them not listening to Reese who is the uh, the authority on what is happening or what is going to happen just blatantly mm -hmm. we're not going to regard what you're saying which again it's not unreasonable but at the same time it kind of funnels into the inadequacy of just like the portrayal of police in this film yeah i think that definitely helps to make the movie even more horror where in the sense of like there's no authority like even the police who's supposed to be authority have authority um over like the city it's not really it's not making a big deal out of it like she's being chased through the through the whole city and it's kind of like well no one has died yet i guess well i guess the innocent people are dying uh the other sarahs but like they haven't really caught anybody in the act of doing it so they're just not really paying attention to it it's kind of like it kind of just ruins their image in that sense also the idea that over the course of like a day and a half there have been three murders and yeah. while you hear about the copycat murder on the news at that one mm -hmm. point i feel like in a a competent police force would be out in force, right? They wouldn't yeah. just be like waiting for people to contact them and all of these things. And I feel like it just shows that this is a city and a society that is priming for its own destruction, right? You never right. have these moments, like the streets are still filled, the nightclubs are still filled with people. And it doesn't feel like a crime wave is going on, but it really is in a lot of ways. And it kind of just, again, it is not the most uh, favorable portrayal of police, which is a common trope and theme yeah. of uh, a lot of horror films, but Cameron's also ability to make un, uh, traditionally safe locations, which in horror movies, they're usually like the the safe havens. He makes mm. them dangerous, just as dangerous, yeah. not impenetrable. Whereas this is him taking horror and blending it with sci-fi and action, which allows him to turn these kind of tropes on their head, which works really, really well. I think this is probably the best example of him blending the three genres that are the main influences. Like when Sarah is being hunted by Reese, who she we're supposed to believe like, Oh, Reese is the bad guy maybe. Cause he's like this yeah. kind of like disheveled looking dude that's fallen her around yeah. in a trench coat with a shotgun. Um, like she goes into the nightclub technoir that I mentioned earlier. And ideally or traditionally you would assume you want to be around crowded, a crowded place. There's lots of people, lots of witnesses who could step in and help or protect you. And yet a full on gunfight erupts in the <laughs> yeah. middle of this nightclub. And it's it's Cameron basically saying, like, no place is safe, which really does right. reinforce the horror vibe to a certain extent, because just like in a slasher, if Jason Voorhees shows up, yeah, it takes place at Camp Crystal Lake. But if it took place in a city, he could just run through everybody and kill everybody. Like, there's nothing that can stop him. Nowhere that you can hide. Yeah, especially especially the scene when they go to they have the shootout in the uh on the police headquarters that's like i think that kind of just sets the the point to where it's like 
yeah, there's no stopping him. Like if the cops can't do it where they're 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 supposed to be in their safe zone and they have armor and they have guns and they can't stop him, then there's no way you can stop this robot. And that kind of adds more into this Jason feel of like this robot is unstoppable and this like it's not going to stop until it gets what it wants. Yeah, that goes back to the quote uh, that we started the episode yeah. off with. And I think that the police scene, obviously, again, the police station assault, it's another example of him really blending the elements. We get that fantastic shootout, but that shootout is a lot. Ten- it's not you can't even call it a shootout, really, because if you're in a shootout, you assume you're shooting back because you're trying to stop whatever's coming towards you. But right. it's a lot more menacing. It's more of a shooting gallery than yeah. it is an actual shootout because, yeah, you see that they're shooting at him with handguns and they explained they explained a way that he was able to get shot because he's wearing body armor. He's able to punch through a window because he's on PCP and he wouldn't feel it. But then, like, when they break out the M16s in the police station and they're, like, laying into him, they realize pretty quickly, like, oh, maybe we should have listened to some of these people because they seem to know more about this uh, threat than we do. So I think we now need to transition into talking about Schwarzenegger's performance, which I've always, obviously, always loved the Schwarzenegger performance, but within the lens of a horror context or focusing on the horror elements of the film, I don't know that anybody else could have done this the way Schwarzenegger did because this is, especially the Terminator performance, is so far removed, I feel, from a lot of his other action performances. Obviously, he looks great holding the gun. He looks great playing with his hair and stuff and he's delivering (laughs) one-liners, but it doesn't feel like an action role to me in a lot of ways. How do you feel about his performance? I think think it's one of his better ones, I would say, Um, just in the sense that, like, you feel like he really does a great job in transforming himself into a robot. Like there's no, there's very minimal flinching when you like, you see him when he gets, when he gets shot through the window and he falls down, it's kind of like very minimal for, you kind of really get that vibe of like, wow, this, this guy is a robot himself. Like I think his performance is probably up there. One of the, one of the better ones I've seen, um, at least in this kind of acting where it's a more serious acting. Cause we're used to having him do action movies where he's, yelling and shooting like in commando where he's like he's kind of like more in the lead and i feel like this is more of a for him it'd be more of a, a serious acting in that sense where he's kind of like um more just reserved. really like yeah yeah he's more like it's more based on his facial expressions and and it's just like he just does a great job at performing that robotic sense and transforming himself into a robot yeah, something I just learned uh, recently was that apparently they were eyeballing O.J. Simpson to play the Terminator oh. at one point, but the producers feared he was, quote-unquote, too nice to be taken seriously as a cold-blooded killer, which oh, did, has not aged well. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think uh, Schwarzenegger is fantastic in this role because he's able to communicate like a lack of empathy through mm. not only like not really his facial features in my opinion, but it's more so just like every movement he does doesn't feel wasted. Everything feels very calculated in a sense that if you were to do a single extra movement or a movement that does not further your future goal, you're interfering with yourself almost. And his, obviously his big goal is like, hey, I have to kill Sarah Connor. That's the only thing I'm here for. And I don't know if we ever really learn what happens to the Terminators after they kill their target. I'm sure they talk about it in a future film, but Again, it just shows like the unwavering dedication to their mission. And I think like you had said, the uh, his movements and his reactions to things, they are yeah. very machine-like. And especially like the way that he handles himself in action scenes, right? You see people are very stressed. They're running around, they're diving over tables. He's invincible. So he just walks right. around and he eats bullets and he flinches a couple of times. <laughs> But when he get, goes flying through the window, I mean, he just lies there and then he does the like Michael Myers sitting straight up and looks yeah. at him and then gets back up and it's like, oh shit, no, these weapons can't do anything to him. But I thought it was interesting too that he spent like the first month or a month before they started filming, just like practicing with weapons, like stripping weapons, uh-huh. reassembling them blindfolded um, until the point where the motions were like automatic, obviously like a machine. Um, and I think that that is very telling too, because for his like second big film or his second film at all, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but, um, 
the way that he handles himself in those scenes is very noticeably different, right? It's it's not even mm. second nature. It's first nature for him, basically, right? I mean, yeah. it's basically like he was born with a gun in his hand. And all of his movements, there's no error in anything that he does, which, again, kind of just reinforces the cold, calculated nature of him being this killing machine. And now for a brief intermission. If you've been enjoying this episode of Daily Horror Habit, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform or leave us a review on iTunes. And thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a good point, that he just kind of, like, there's always a meaning to, like, there's always a meaning to everything, like, the way he does things, like you were saying, he's just very, he calculates everything, and everything is perfect, his execution, and, and I think the fact that, thank God, he kind of, he, Arnold Schwarzenegger trained with guns before coming into this, because, like, even that scene when he's in the gun shop, he's just, like, literally flying through the weapons, just, like, making sure, like, like, he's just trying to see how he's adjusting himself in the sense of, like, to this gun, how does it feel, how am I holding it, he aims down the barrel, and he just looks, like, I think he goes through, like, three different guns, and it's kind of, like, he just seems so natural, he's just trying to, like, process the whole motion of having this type of gun in my hand, and I think that really sells more into the fact that he is a robot and yeah i for me i would say definitely one of my favorite arnold roles for sure so i want to something that i started thinking about on this rewatch was his progression and i think that's a great way that you described it he's acclimating himself to these uh, inferior almost antique firearms in his mind right because he's from 2029 but i think it's interesting to, to go from the gun shop where he's listing off the guns that he wants that are in the store and then he's very like matter of fact he's like a pulse plasma phase rifle into 40 (laughs) kilowatts or whatever um he's and the guy's like hey but it's only what you see and it's like okay yeah he just arrived in this time period so he wouldn't know that really and he's still getting a feel for it but then later in the film we get to that line i'll be back which is obviously one of his most famous lines of all time and it would pop up in other films and it's basically his trademark to a certain extent. Um, and I think that line is interesting because the line was almost, I will be back. And that's something that Arnold Schwarzenegger pushed for. He wanted it to be, I will be back because he thought it sounded more machine-like. Mm-hmm. But James Cameron, basically, I think at one in an interview, they revealed James Cameron was like, I don't tell you how to act. Don't tell me how to write kind of thing. And so Cameron oh, was like, it's I'll be back. Let's let's check, yeah. our, uh, our, check our priorities here. But <laughs> I find that I'll be back is more terrifying than I will be back because yeah. in the point of the film that we're at, I think it's an hour into the film or something. He's been in this world for so long that he's beginning to acclimate. He's beginning to mm. realize how other people speak, how other people behave, which yeah. if anything, it helps him to be a more efficient killer. He's able to blend right. into the surroundings. He's not an eyesore. And it's so, such a simple thing. Like I'll be back it's more terrifying because he's removing the contractions and he's like adopting slang and shorthand and these things, which Mm -hmm. again, it makes him seem more human, which is the ultimate goal of the Terminator. It's why he's got this fleshy exterior, right? Yeah. So I think it also, for me, now that you say it, it's like, it also kind of like helps his point of getting to the point. Like he shortened that line to I'll be back instead of i will be back i'll be back is faster he's just he's saving himself time in that sense of just saying that quick little line instead of i will be back um it kind of adds to the character itself where it's like every every step is thought out and every step is an important step to get into his goal which is he's making taking the shortest way possible but at the same time he's making it efficiently absolutely yeah and that it kind of speaks to like when slasher villains in movies begin to adapt towards the end of the film, right? Somebody did something earlier in the film to hurt them or to slow them down. And then if they ever try to do that again, typically, oh, well, they did that before. So it's almost like they're learning. Um, I think that's more of like a Freddy Krueger case where he's like a little more (laughs) savvy than some of the other uh, meathead slasher icons. But um, in terms of also like one of the most overt horror moments in the entire film for me that speaks to the Terminator being an efficient killer, but at the same time, like this is definitely one of the more, one of the more egregious kills is when the Terminator kills Ginger's boyfriend. Ginger is uh, Sarah's roommate. Uh, and it, he has a gun, which he eventually kills Ginger with, right? He shoots her yeah. until the mag runs out, but he decides he's going to throw Matt around the room into mirrors and through doors and through furniture to the point where he's like all cut up and gory and yeah. everything. And 
the first time I watched that, I was like, well, that's super inefficient, especially when right. he tries to begin killing him by just like essentially punching through his head like he did with the <laughs> yeah. other guy. But I just love that moment because it is the most horror centric kind of slasher kill in my mind. And I think it would have been cool to get a couple more moments like that. But again, it shows that Schwarzenegger is able to really sell a lot of the actions, whether it's firearm based or whether it's one of those more uh, slasher focused kills. Like in the beginning of the movie, the first thing he does is he punches through a guy's chest and rips his heart out. Like it (laughs) doesn't get more kind of slasher horror centric than that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's definitely one of those moments where it brings fear. Just, I feel like putting myself in the boyfriend's shoes, like you're getting killed with bare hands. Like that's scary. Like I'd rather get shot, just make it quick, kill me. Like then just getting killed bare hand with, by a robot. It just feels like so much more pain. Just, you're just going to suffer more. And I, I think we also get that sense of like Arnold's first encounter fighting other than the, the heart, like, like seen in the beginning but like um i think it's his first actual hand-to-hand combat and he's kind of i don't know if he's kind of calibrating how to fight or he's kind of like getting a feel for it um but it's definitely one of those those moments where like you were saying it's a little bit underrated in the sense of like bringing more fear into the you get to see more of what the terminator is capable of other than just shooting guns and you also yeah i think it would have been cool to see a little more action between even him and Reese, like, because a lot of the action after this is all, after that scene, it's all guns and bombs and and car crashes. It's not really anything hand-to-hand combat, but I think, although we had we had that scene of him and Reese fighting hand-to-hand, I'm pretty sure that Arnold would definitely take it. <laughs> There's no yeah. way skinny Reese would have a chance on him, but no, I think it's a, it's a great scene because it kind of shows a lot of, like, the... I mean, I, he does have the gun, but he decides to use his hand just to like sneak up on him mm-hmm. that's in that true. sense. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a, a good scene to be, to introduce more of what he's capable of doing. That's true. He does have that kind of slasher icon methodology where it's like, you want to pick them off one at a time rather than right. kind of run in machete your guns blazing and start trying to kill everybody. Cause then everybody will scatter. But right. I think one element that we definitely need to talk about with the Terminator is the film's pacing. And I find that the mm. pacing is almost identical to that of a traditional horror slasher in terms of the evolution of the monster, which is the which is the Terminator in this, right? So periodically throughout the film, the Terminator suffers damage, but he's still whole for the most part, right? You can see he's starting to get little wear and tears here, but it's really not until well, first we get a brief glimpse that, okay, this is a machine because we see his perspective in the alley when he's running after Sarah and Reese, right? We get this kind of like computer diagnostic looking viewpoint that's like all red and it's showing the different calculations. But then the one scene after that, that is the most apparent is the surgery scene in the oh, bath yeah. in the hotel bathroom where he slices, for starters, you don't know the extent to which he's a cyborg up until that point, right? Mm-hmm. So you have him picking up a scalpel and then basically slitting from his wrist to his forearm upwards. And yeah. then he reveals obviously like the inner workings of his robotic exoskeleton. Mm-hmm. And so, or his robotic skeleton rather. And like that is incredibly distressing before you realize yeah. what he's doing. Cause it's like the ultimate body horror moment, right? It's this guy that's just right. slicing into his own arm. And then of course we get to the eye, which is, still yeah. one of the most squirm inducing moments of the movie for me where he has to cut out his eye with the exacto knife and then it just plops into the sink with a little bit of blood and then he kind of like matter-of-factly dabs at it i still that <laughs> st- scene still makes me squirm yeah i think that's one of, probably one of the best scenes um up there in in the whole franchise i would say that's that's like the iconic scene i would say from the terminator just because you get to see for the first time you get to see that he's a robot and you get he gets that cool little red eye dot that all the robots have and and i think that scene definitely adds a lot of horror to the whole movie in general where it's like you see when he when he stabs himself with the scalpel and it's like you can see the this flesh is like like soft and he kind of breaks through the flesh and it's like it just gives you like the goosebumps it's like oh how can you do that i, I could never like do something like that to myself and like it's just like it, that whole scene i think for me is the one scene that I remember out of the whole movie. Personally, it's just like such an iconic scene. Yeah, and I think that we really have to give a lot of credit to uh, the special effects lead for the film, Stan Winston, who's 
Oscar nominated and he would go on to collaborate with Cameron on Aliens and in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um, but I think also, again, to come back to the pacing, in term, pacing in regards to like the monster and the full reveal. Obviously, we see Schwarzenegger throughout the entire movie, but we don't see what's underneath until the last like 25 or 30 minutes of the movie. And that really starts to come to a head when he gets hit by the Mack truck. Right. Mm -hmm. And and the guys inside are like freaking out. Oh, shit, we killed somebody. And then he climbs into the truck bed and he turns and looks at the guy that's still in there. And like parts of his face are missing. And you can see the uh, skeleton of the Terminator beneath it. And it's so gross and disturbing, but it's this slow reveal. And I think the slow reveal is very telling. You go from seeing the eye in the bathroom to his face being revealed and part of his jaw being revealed in the truck bed. And then, of course, when the tanker truck explodes, we see the full skeleton, which is the big reveal. They didn't do that 30 minutes into the movie or 45 minutes into the movie. They made a very clear, conscious choice. Again, this could be the result of a budget. It's too expensive to have him be the robot for the entire movie. But whether it's intentional or not, it has the desired effect of the monster is not fully revealed until the very end of the movie, which gives the movie almost like a second wind in a lot of ways. Yeah. Whereas in some sla- in traditional slashers, sometimes directors show too much early on. This is one of the soapboxes that I get on a lot, so I apologize <laughs> to people that I'm repeating myself, but they reveal too much early on. And so if you see everything up front, then the back end of the movie can't be nearly as scary. You can never... Right you can never reintroduce something and make it that much more terrifying. It's always kind of like, yeah, I know what this looks like in its entirety. And then we're kind of like, yeah, we're waiting for this to wrap up. Whereas with the Terminator, it's basically almost like a new introduction to the villain or not basically, it is a new introduction to the villain, which uh, it's insane to me to learn that they wanted when the tanker truck explodes, that was supposed to be the, some of the producers wanted that to be the end of the movie. They just wanted the movie to wow. end like that. And I'm pretty I would sure- I so annoyed. Yeah, that would have been the weakest ending <laughs> oh because God. Cameron even says, what are you talking about? This is when the movie is just really starting. And I think that comes through in a big way in the pace, in the methodical pacing that is very horror-like. Yeah, it's definitely, for for me, I think the uh, the the production team, the, the special effect teams really did an amazing job at really selling like, because that scene you were saying when he gets dragged under the truck and you see like the human flesh is getting ripped out of the face and i think it, they just did such a great job it looks so fitting to that he has that that forehead and like the side of his face is like a metal plate and it just like everything that like the 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 costumes and even everything just kind of fits along because after that he just gets up and keeps walking like nothing happened like you can tell that he's a robot and it just like the whole effect the special effect team did an amazing job of that and like really with the budget that they had i think it was very very well done yeah he literally has that kind of like phoenix moment that rise from the ashes that many slasher villains do i mean a majority of the time when the villain rises or is revealed to be alive is when the film ends because they either kill the final girl or the movie just ends mysteriously like in halloween Michael Myers disappears, and then we have to live with the idea that this unstoppable killer is still out there. But in this, we get another 20, 15, 20 minutes of the movie where we get this very horror-esque final showdown, which is reminiscent of slashers. I mean, it occurs in an isolated area, which is this factory that Sarah and Reese can't escape from, and they're trapped in this tight, cramped, dangerous kind of spaces with this ultimate killing machine. And I mean, the killer comes back not only after the explosion but the second explosion when reese shoves that pipe bomb into one of his joints like he survives even getting blown in half and how many times have we seen jason Voorhees get his head chopped off or gut shotted with a shotgun and still just gets up and it just reinforces the unstoppable killing nature of these uh these killers yeah i think it's kind of cool that the ending they kind of go into a factory where it's a bunch of machines that's where the Terminator actually dies. I kind of a little like metaphor connection there with he basically dies where he was made in a sense. It's kind of cool. Huh? I mean, now I, I didn't really notice that the first time, but now that you bring it up, like they go into a factory and I'm thinking, I'm thinking that scene where he gets squished by the, he gets flattened by the machine. And it's like, you can see his eye pupils is like dying off. Like the light, the life is going out of him and it's like electricity everywhere. And it's kind of like him basically getting 
going back to where he started and that's where he's going to die. Yeah, that the thing that birthed him will uh, will ultimately yeah. be his destruction. But um, I wanted to share a couple of kind of just facts that I think really do reinforce the Terminator had a more horror-centric origin than was actually in the final film. Um, but it's, one of them is kind of brief, and obviously I have to describe it because I'm going to mention like a early piece of concept art. Maybe I'll include it um, on the Daily Horror Habit blog or Twitter, but... Originally, there was a concept art photo that this stemmed from where it was half of the Terminator, like we see in the end of the film, and it's crawling along the floor and it's holding like a butcher's knife in its hand. And the way that it's drawn, you can't look at that and think like, obviously, it's a metal skeleton, but it is so clearly trying to be evocative of horror slashers that you're like, yeah, I can see this film having this horror origin. Mm. And there was another big moment that was cut from, it was in Cameron's original treatment, and then it was adapted to the novel. There's like a novelization of the Terminator that coincided with the release of the movie, but then it was eventually cut from the movie. And it's one of these little elements that would have, again, it would have relied on Stan Winston and his special effects team, but also it just kind of is a very horror, body horror, almost centric moment. And so in Cameron's original treatment, the Terminator would cut into the legs of the two Sarah Connor victims to look for surgical pins that were placed in there after an ice skating injury. So it's basically a way oh, for the wow. Terminator to confirm that he's killed the right person. Because remember, the Terminators, true. they only know the first and last name. And so that's why they're killing, obviously, all of these different Sarah Connors. But the other thing that they only had the information was like, hey, she had an injury and this is how you confirm your kill, basically, which... That would be so disturbing if that was in the yeah. movie. This Terminator basically just like either cutting or ripping into this body to find these surgical pins would have been super disturbing. Yeah, that would have that would have definitely taken it hard into a horror horror um, genre at that point because that's just that just seems very ag- aggressive. But I I mean I could definitely see the Terminator doing such thing though, which which would I mean I don't know I, the the thought of it sounds very aggressive and very like gruesome, but. I wonder how it would look on film though. That'd be that'd be nice to see if there's like a certain edition or at least a clip of that of that scene. I think it really does kind of come back to this idea that if Cameron really made a lot of sacrifices in terms of meeting or making a final product that was very commercially viable. I think if he had leaned into more horror moments like that, while you and I obviously were massive fans of this movie and like fans of horror movies and effects that go along with those. At the same time though, like does a general audience want to see that? They were already probably pretty squirmish at the idea of this guy cutting into his forearm, cutting out his eyeball and all these things. And to have one extra moment like that, I could see being a big turnoff for general audiences. Granted, Mm -hmm. I want more moments like that because that's the nasty stuff that I love in my horror movies. And it would further reinforce that the Terminator is this cold calculated machine that does the unimaginable in service of his final objective. But uh, a spin on that, what I just talked about with Cameron's original treatment was... In the novelization, the pins are still there, but it's the reason for the pins that changes. And so in the final fight of the Terminator, which is in the movie, Sarah Connor breaks her leg. That's why she's like crawling through the factory, right? Because she fell or from the explosion. And the pins that are in her leg are from that breaking of her leg, escaping the Terminator, which basically just means that Skynet knew that Sarah had pins in her leg, but not when or why they were there. And so the Terminator would basically be searching for an injury that hadn't happened yet. It was searching for like a future injury rather than something that had occurred previous to the Terminator showing up, which again, it's the same general concept, but I found that that was pretty interesting because Cameron's treatment was more horror focused. Hey, this Terminator is going to rip into this girl's body and look for pieces of metal, which is disgusting and grotesque and all these things. Yeah. But then when the novelization came out, The novelization obviously was another writer that was adapting and fleshing out the Terminator story more. He moved away from that horror element for one that is more sci-fi focused. Mm. The injury hasn't happened yet, so the Terminator isn't going to know about them. That's a more sci-fi element. And obviously, we see that the series headed more towards sci-fi than horror later on with the Mm -hmm. Terminator series. And again, that has to be because they want to make films that are more viable, commercially viable to a wider audience. I think it's easier for a general audience to buy into 
an action sci-fi movie than a sci-fi horror movie or a horror action movie, um, which is not a surprise. It's not something that I could probably even argue with if you started to like take the big budget movies and compare numbers. In a studio's perception, they're going to go for the one that's going to move the most tickets. It's going to put the most right. se- uh, asses in seats, as it were. Um, so yeah. while I would want something different, I want the horror stuff, obviously. I understand why they didn't lean fully into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. I feel like it would have been in 90. Well, the second one came out in 92. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like for me, it seems, I don't know, maybe I would have to watch a version of it. But not, like Judgment Day seems more of an action movie and it's it's more fitting to the way the story goes about because it's no longer like they're still getting haunted in 92 but it just doesn't feel that same kind of horror because they have a bodyguard technically with them so it's not the same kind of fear Uh, and it definitely makes sense to be more of an action based other than the original one where or unlike the original one where it's it's two human beings versus something out of not not of made of earth, I guess, in that sense, or in the time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I agree, and I don't think that Terminator Two should have had a more of a horror focus, especially like you said. Again, it lends itself to the scope and the budget of the movie. I mean, yeah. the original film had like zero studio fate. They thought it was going to be a quick sci-fi cash grab. Even I found a really a really funny quote in retrospect from Schwarzenegger while he was on the set of Conan. He referred to Terminator as like some shit movie I'm doing. It will take a couple of weeks because he was pissed that or the studio was pissed that Conan was interfering with the filming of Terminator. But Schwarzenegger eventually would go on, obviously, to recant that and be like, hey, I'm going to acknowledge that my performance in the Terminator is a career defining performance for him. Um, So I think it's just funny that one of the most famous films of all time, like nobody had any faith in. And I mean, the more you and I especially go back and watch older films and talk about them and stuff, you realize like hindsight is twenty twenty. this idea that all these movies that were lauded as failures and nobody believed in would go on to be these, some of the most beloved films of all time. Yeah. It seems like their longevity is much better than all these movies that came out and they were a hit in a sense during their time. Mm-hmm. One kind of silly fact just to end on that I found that I thought was pretty funny was when the movie was released in like the late 80s in Poland, it didn't coincide with the US release because of distribution and ratings board and things like blowing up enough. The movie in theaters was titled The Electronic Murderer because the word Terminator had a different meaning and it was used for something else in Polish. Oh my God, The Electronic Murderer. I'm trying to imagine if they had announced uh, the Terminator would be called The Electric Murderer in, uh, in, in the United States. I think that would have had even less studio confidence. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, that would have been hard to even go to the movies and watch. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> why, don't, why don't you? Uh, why, why don't we go see the Electric Murderer this weekend? That would be a, <laughs> a, a tough sell in any household, I think. Oh my god, for sure. But uh, yeah, man, and wrapping up, I was a blast talking uh, one of our favorite films of all time, and I hope uh, this conversation has definitely helped people realize that I don't think it's that much of a stretch to refer to Terminator as a horror movie, or to say it's a horror movie that is masquerading as a sci-fi action movie. Like it has all of those elements, don't get me wrong, but I think to not include the horror elements of the film or to kind of like discount the possibility of it being horror just because it's Schwarzenegger instead of Jason or somebody like that, that type of portrayal, I think it does a great disservice to the bedrock of, or the foundation of the Terminator franchise and kind of what the first film was was able to do. And even if the other films moved away from that, the importance of having that first film introduce this horror element so strongly really did set up one of the most successful franchises probably of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, all the other movies, all the other Terminators aren't nowhere near horror, but I think in saying the Terminator is a horror movie, I feel like it's a very underrated horror movie personally. Um, I think it should be in, in us in there in its own way, like a horror sci-fi um it's obviously not nothing like well in its own way it's not it's not like a jason or one of those movies but it's still a horror base it's it's not really looked upon i think it has a lot to do with the reputation of the movies that followed but overall i think it's definitely would be fit in my horror list awesome well that's what i'm trying to do with uh exploring more like horror adjacent films or in this case a horror film that is 
not the lens that most people probably apply to it, but uh, this was a lot of fun. And I was happy to uh, ring in the new year for the first episode of Daily Horror Habit with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.